Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it is a great privilege to meet together with not only my congregation, but those who are part of our saints' network throughout our country and throughout the world, and uh, to any of you who may be tuning in by the by the direction of the Spirit today, we welcome you. Our church has been engaged in uh, a wonderful type of prayer, intercession, before the Lord over this past week, and it has been designed prophetically as a sila, which is that, biblically, that separation point between promise and fulfillment, between challenge and solution, and between opposition and victory. And um, it was also a, a musical term that was, um, was created, it was applied to speak about the resolution of a chord or the resolution of a suspense uh, in, in musical um, flow. And uh, it was an intercessory term that was utilized in the tabernacle. I'm not teaching on that today. We've done a plethora of teachings about this in the past. I'm just refreshing all of you. So every day this past week, since last Wednesday, we have been looking through the Word uh, for the 74 times that's the, that the proper term Selah was used, as well as looking at derivatives of that in the Scripture. And today, we're going to be looking at one of those derivative types. Um, this day, Wednesday, is the eighth day of this progression. And we believe that the eighth day really, logically, represents a day of new beginnings. If there's seven days in a week, well, the eighth day is the beginning of the new week. Um, if, as there are seven spirits of the Lord and the progression of how God uh, feels and how God thinks, how God uh, is fulfilling his ways, then the eighth day would be the time when you go forth after a, um, a day of reflection and commune with him and thanks to him for what he has done, and you look forward into the new. The eighth day is also something that we studied last year regarding the what is called in the Bible the Solemn Feast. And that was the eighth day that was attached to um, some of the seven-day feasts in the Old Testament. And that was a time of pause. It was a time of waiting. It was a time of posture before the Lord and positioning for something magnificent that God was going to do. So with all that being said, on this eighth day and final day of this progression in the month of October, our congregation here is going to gather to pray tonight and also be in agreement today. What are we doing on this day? Well, I believe that a directive from the Lord is found very clearly in the scripture uh, in regard to one of the derivatives of Selah. And um, 
and it has to do with how we relate to God in in partnership with him and in very real terms it's how we believe and how we declare concerning what we glean that God is doing I mean if you if you intercede and God always looks for an intercessor to partner uh, some people only intercede when they're in trouble or after all the hard work is done and then they they go in and gather like a um, like a people who have stumbled on a you know a waterfall that somebody else discovered um, so we we have been believing for the Lord and now we know that there are certain things that God has made abundantly clear that he is wanting to do things that we've been believing for and that we we feel the witness of the spirit in it's time to do something about them as a result of the of the resolve of the sila now we have no evidence that when the sila actually found a a resolve as to how much time elapsed from that point to when there was a physical manifestation of that victory every sila took uh, differing amounts of time and then of course when god releases something you you have no way of knowing when it's actually going to manifest in the natural now those of you who are faith movement people you say well it's done now now faith is well that's true but you just you just don't know after that assurity as to when God's going to actually manifest that victory that you know you have. It's just true. It, it's just, just true. God did things immediately at times. He did things over the course of time at times. And um, you can find examples of both of those. So, but today we want to talk about prophetically declaring um, what God has resolved. And we, want, we also want to talk about how you personally view the sila and how you um, recognize, first of all, the, the solid nature of your relationship with God and that place of believing and interceding and calling forth. There are two distinct places. These are two distinct places in the word of the Lord, and you find them conjoined. And so the most famous of these, and you have a teaching outline there, and we're looking at Hebrew words, Sila, spelled S-E-L-A. And the most famous illustration of this has to do with Moses when he was dealing with a murmuring people concerning their need for water. And the first time that this is recorded in the Bible was in Exodus 17. We're aware, we are aware of this, 
And, uh, you know, I'm just going to reiterate this. We have a lot of verses to read today. But you know this. It's there on the sheet for you. I'm not bypassing the scripture. It's even in King James for some of you purists, of which I am one. Um, Verse 5 of Exodus 17 says, The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you the elders of Israel and your rod, wherewith you smote the river, taking... Take in your hand and go. Behold, I stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb, and you will smite that rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now this rock is a sur rock. It is solid. It is one of those... Uh, hard rocks with no fissures in it. And this was the first rock that God brought Moses to in regard to bringing forth water. And in this first instance, God caused Moses to strike the rock with the rod. Now, the second instance is in Numbers 20. And here the people are murmuring again. But this time, God says, you are going to go before the rock, and you are going to take the rod, but you're not going to whack it with the the rod, this rock. Uh, You are going to, uh, verse 10 of Numbers 20, Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, hear you now, rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock, Selah? Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly. The congregation drank in their beasts also. The problem with this is that Moses was supposed to speak to the rock before their eyes. In other words, he was supposed to declare to it. That's the first point. Secondly, this was a different kind of rock, and it is the Sela rock, S-E-L-A, which means it was reticulated, it had ridges in it, there were fissures in it, and that is significant uh, spiritually. Moses was supposed to speak to that, but instead, in his anger and in his past experience, he declared negatively to the people. He described them adequately, accurately, but he was really put out with them. Who could blame him? Now, God didn't like this at all because Moses disobeyed. He didn't, he didn't, God said, you didn't believe me. And this is further on in that passage in Numbers. And that word, Amon, is the word that means at the right hand, it's the word typically used for faith or belief in the Old Testament, and it carries forward into the New Testament when we talk about being at the right hand of God, where Jesus is seated. Um, God was giving Moses a different kind of directive that was supposed to be demonstrated in front of the people. And here he is speaking into a sila. He was to have spoken into a sila rock. Now, why is that significant? Because in the first instance in Exodus, there are times when God has you squarely positioned in him, 
and you are simply obeying what he says. You're utilizing your your rod of authority, and it is a it is a quick thing. You smite, and the supply is there. We all like that, don't we? That's that's a good one. We may not like being in need, but we like saying, "Well, on Christ the solid rock I stand," and you know, I've got this authority from God, and you know, He He's gonna He's told me to do this, and bam, out it comes. But this second one in Numbers, first of all, required Moses to utilize his voice, which he was a little bit anxious about. Go back and read the story. He lamented to God that he didn't feel comfortable with his voice. Um, but in that weakness, God used him in abundant ways in, in Egypt. But here... Moses was supposed to release the voice. You're supposed to have the rod that recognized that was recognized as his authority, but he was supposed to speak. And where was he supposed to speak? Into a place that is characterized through the Old Testament as a place of of the gap, as a place that separates the promise from the fulfillment, the need from the supply of the Lord. And there is where intercession happens, in that center place. There is where we're in the valley between the mountain of promise and the mountain of fulfillment. And there is where you lift up your voice before God, where you commune with God, where you fellowship with God. Moses had experienced that on a number of occasions as a friend of God. God didn't speak to him in dark sentences. Remember when they crossed over and he told Miriam and Aaron that? But he spoke to him as one would speak to a friend. And so God was wanting to really demonstrate to the people that thing that they had rejected or would reject over and over again. That measure of commune with God and being intercessors and using their voice for proactive, positive, obedient things, as opposed to murmuring and complaining. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We know that. The scripture says that. And um, we, we need to, to see here that the catchwords are, God commanded Moses to do this from the right hand. He was wanting to do it in the eyes of the people to sanctify himself in the eyes of the people or to set apart a saintly, holy walk of life which had escaped them to this point. They had chosen chosen not to follow it and their forebears died in the wilderness. And now here this new batch was there and Moses needed to say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to do this now. But instead, he let the negativity of the people around him and the wearing down of that. And as I said, who could really blame him for being worn out with those people? God got worn out with them. Remember when he told Moses, you know, I'm just going to kill them all. And Moses intervened and said, pled with the Lord, don't do it. So if you're going to get angry with me saying Moses was put out, well, then get angry with God because God was put out. 
But here he continually tried to bring the people into a sila walk, into an intercessory walk, which is really what we as saints are trying to obey and trying to depict as, um, as those people who are sent to make disciples in all nations. Uh, we are to depict to that sanctified walk. We are to depict that right hand of the Father and that intercession, and what it means to be in the sila. That is the place that God wants us. Now, yes, there will be times where we use the rod to, to obey God in demonstrative ways. There will be times, like in Zechariah, where we shout, Grace, grace to the mountain. But that's also part of intercession, because grace and supplication are together. You can't be at the throne of grace without encountering the spirit of grace and supplication, because it's part of God, part of who he is. And so we're here at this place as a saint's network, and God, as we're ready to move into the land of breakthrough in new ways in this new year, and we need to begin to not only continue to hear from God at the right hand, also be confident in the authority that he has granted, not that we've studied and got a certificate for, but that he has granted. And um, we need to be willing to hear from him to obey what he says, and to declare what he says. What he says, not what we wish would happen, not what we think ought to happen. And what about God will give you the desires of your heart? Well, first of all, what is the heart? You know, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says lots of other things about the heart. The Bible says that the heart can have an evil conscience. So if you're just saying what's going on in your heart, that can, there, there can be a mess of stuff going on in a person's heart. <clears throat> and a lot of those desires may not be what God wants. You recognize that? There are times in my life, in the past, I'm not talking about wicked things, that there are things that in my, in my heart at that time, in the steering wheel of my life, I thought something should happen or I thought this should occur. And I asked God for it, even in the 70s, in the hotbed of the faith movement. And it didn't happen. And I look back in retrospect, which I guess that's a double entendre, look back in retrospect. And I'm glad God didn't give me what my heart at that time wanted. So, if the heart is right before God, and there's no doubt in it, and you are, you are, you have your emotions, you have your mind, you have the Spirit of God within you directing things, and there you sense this is what God wants, and then out of the abundance of that you speak, then, yeah, God gives you those desires. But if, if you're speaking out of a desperately wicked heart, don't think so much is going to happen. Good, for that matter. What, what does the Bible say? These people draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you ever read these verses or you just skip over them looking for stem winders? 
So we've got to make sure that in our intercession and our waiting on God in the midst of that sila, that we get a, a clear view of what God is really saying, and we declare that, because everything begins with a voice. I find it interesting that our enemy, and in so many ways modern society, is trying to govern people's voice. They're trying to stop free expression, which is the hallmark of American society and French society. And the right to free speech, well, it's not free anymore in this country. You say the wrong thing, you awake the wrong wokey, or you say the wrong pronoun, or you joke about something, or you don't, you trigger somebody and you're on the cancel list. But the enemy is trying to eliminate the ability to speak and to proclaim what you believe as a Christian, what you believe from the word. And on the other hand, he's going hog wild with people that are fomenting and spewing forth all kinds of wickedness. There's power in the voice. Everything begins with a voice. In the book of Genesis, God said, and so we need to make sure that what we're declaring in this Selah moment is what God has initiated from that Selah place at the right hand of God, and we're representing him. Amen? Let's talk a little more about this in your outline. How about Gideon and the same two types of rocks? We'll read this one. Judges 6, 19 through 21. And Gideon went in. Remember the angel was there telling him, oh, you man of valor, um, telling him that he was going to use him to deliver the people from the Midianites. And as part of this discussion, there was fleecing and all kinds of other things. But here we're focusing on the two rocks. So the angels there, Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. That, that part I would like. And brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it to the angel. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock. That's the seal of rock. And pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock, sur rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now, what does this mean? Is the Bible confused? Is this a contradiction? You know, some people read the Word and they just look for issues instead of looking for meanings. Somehow in this rock, the angel was there and there were both kinds of rock side by side. And the angel said, you put all this food, which is significant, signifies commune, put it on the sila rock. 
and Gideon did. And the angel took his staff or his rod and touched a solid sewer rock and fire, let's read it, rose up out of that hard rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. In other words, the fire of the Lord came out of the hardened rock and consumed what had been devoted in the Selah. That is significant. Now, there are, you know, the two rocks are here. Moses, we just saw over a span of years, was being directed to two rocks, two different types of rocks, these same designated types of rocks. But here Gideon is being really angelically instructed that if you are going to fellowship and commune with God regarding what he's promised and what the throne has put forward, your fellowship and your devotion needs to be invested. Your fellowship should be into that sila equation. Do you see that? And once you do that, then the fire of completion, the fire of the Lord, will arise out of the unchanging, uh, indivisible, solid rock of, of God. We'll see more of that in a few minutes. But let's talk about what David thought about the Selah rock. Let's look at Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, and out of the miry clay he set my feet on a rock to stay, and established my goings. If some of you don't know, that's an old hymn. I think Dennis Stewart wrote that and put it in our hymnal. Um, he also, sometimes, if you look at him just right, you see a vision of Gideon. But what kind of rock did God establish David upon and establish his goings from? The Selah. Isn't that interesting? David then put 70 times the Selah in his Psalms or in the book of Psalms. Some of them were written by others from the tabernacle and one by Moses. Um, and, you know, this was a way of life for David. When David would be delivered, it obviously came from his relationship with God, where his spirit was seeking hard after God. He meditated on the Lord there. And through that place, God established his goings. Yes, David knew the fortress. Yes, he knew the, the, the hard uh, sewer rock. We'll see that next. But he was established and directed from the Selah. 
when he was in the miry clay, God brought him through to that seal of place and then established his going forth. I just think that's wonderful. Let's look at the aforementioned time where both of these words are used, and this is in 2 Samuel. It's also quoted in another place, but I like what 2 Samuel says. Verse 22, chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. David spoke unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock. Yahweh is my Selah. And my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, Tzur, in him will I trust. He is my shield of the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Another chorus. Um, it's interesting. Now, some of you who study these things along with us would say, well, why isn't Elohim equated with the rock and Yahweh equated with the sur. Why isn't Elohim in the Selah? Well, we have to recognize that God is one. They're not two Romulus, Ramus, twin gods running around. God is one. He depicts himself in many names to show us, to help to show us who he is, how he wants to commune with us, how he wants to relate to us. He teaches us about his ways through that. Elohim is that point of identity, that point of strength, that point of commune, that point of the love of God. And that's where we really gain the essence of who we are. That's why that's the rock. That's why that is the solid place. That is inviolable. It, it is without question. It doesn't change. No matter where we are forever, we are there with the heart of God, which is why Jesus was named Emmanuel, Elohim with us. That's, who, that's how we know God. That's our entrance into the right hand of God. And so then you have Yahweh or Jehovah, the uh, Tetragrammaton. That sounds like something out of Army of Darkness. And it's the four letters. So that is associated with the Selah because that's God's pattern. It's God's directive, how he's going to fulfill his purpose. And um, that's the goings. So, when you are, you're directed by God, the, the love of God, to believe for something, then you're in that valley. You, you then have to intercede and lay claim to what it is that God has promised you on the top of the mountain, in that hard, high place, the established forever. God speaks there, but then you've got to believe what he says at the right hand. 
And you've got to go and intercede and use your voice and be contrite and declare what he said at the right hand, which is exactly what he said to Moses. Remember? You speak to this seal of rock, what I said at the right hand. You show these people how this works, and you show them how to accept the saintly walk. We were established and are established just as David was in the love of God. God told Saul, I got to go for somebody who's following the tobe, whose spirit is searching hard after me. That's the essence of our identity. But when we emerge from that place, that confident place, that resolute place, there we're engaging truly in the plan of God, and there our goings are established and demonstrated, and there we sing, there we declare, we proclaim, we prophesy. But you better be sure that you got both of these going on. And so you got Moses in the two rocks, you got David in the two rocks, you got Gideon in the two rocks. We're really rocking today, aren't we? Let's look at the glory of God in Moses and Elijah. Now, these two are storied characters in the Bible. And they are um, they're also not just in the Old Testament, but they they are ministering to the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament. And they were so evident there that Peter, James, and John, those pillars, said, hey, let's build tabernacles for all three, which I don't know what those guys were thinking. I think Jesus, I don't know this, but he, when they said that, that just goes against so many things that he'd been teaching them for three years and that they should have known. But the, be that as it may, um, Moses and Elijah are important, not only because they were unable to really go forward into the full promise of what God wanted, and I think that's without dispute, we know that God wanted Moses to continue with Joshua. We want to know that Elijah was supposed to continue with Elisha. But God was gracious to them. But here they are. Let's look first at Exodus 33, verse 20 for Moses. And this is the famous story of show me your glory. You cannot see my face, God said to Moses, for there shall no man see me and live. And Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you will stand or be established upon this sur, T-S-U-R. And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the sur, and will cover you there with my hand while I pass by. Now, this does not mention Selah. I just want to make that abundantly clear. I'm not twisting the word. But here the principle that we've just been establishing in Scripture applies. God is establishing Moses in that point of authority 
<coughs> but God <coughs> creates <coughs> a cleft or a cutout place in that sewer. And there he covers him with the palm of his hand. And Moses is to wait there, hopefully deliberate there, hopefully to be communing with God there. I mean, if you're under the palm of the hand of God, it's not like you're in a bomb shelter. And the glory of the Lord was moving. So here you have those two principles. And Moses was smart enough and anointed enough that he should have recognized that. But I'm not faulting him. I'm just indicating that this principle is here. Let's look at 1 Kings 19. Here is Elijah in a very difficult place. Verse 9. Elijah came hither or thither. I want to make sure we see that he went thither and not hither. He went thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Now, this mount is that mountain. It's really solid. And he is established there. And the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the sila before the Lord. The Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Now, this is remarkably, which is why we're remarking about it, similar to Moses on the mount, where we just discussed in the passage immediately before this one. Um, and Elijah is up on this mountain. God's talking to him. He's talking to God. We won't talk about what Elijah mentioned twice, verbatim. It was a rehearsed speech. Do you have any of those? I know I have. Try to dismantle them, put them under the blood. Um, but here, God has Elijah on this solid place in the mountain. He establishes him there. And then God begins to move forth. He moves before him. He's not necessarily covering him. But look at this progression. A strong wind blows and breaks in pieces the mountains and the Selah. But the plan of God was not in that. After that, an earthquake. But God wasn't just in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, judgment and burning. 
But God wasn't in the fire. But where was God? In the still small voice. In that very intimate commune and communication. Now, this merges several themes that we know from the scripture. First, when you see the wind, you recognize that that's the way God's spirit moves. It, your voice comes through the wind and you know, the Holy Spirit, God, God is spirit. We've got his spirit within us that hopefully is born again through Christ. And um, we pray with that spirit in diversities of tongues, the Bible says, or in an unknown tongues as well. Um, that's the initiation point of everything. And it, it will move upon and through the solid place. It will move upon and through the seal of place. What happens then is that the, um, the earthquake comes. The solution comes. We've studied about the progression, the intercessory progression of voices, thunders, lightnings, and earthquakes, where God turns things right side up and restores what has been has become convoluted or has um, has been used for evil in his creation or has not been developed yet god initiates that turns it right side up and um, you know it was said of the disciples those that have turned the world upside down have come to us it's a shaking but god wasn't just in that after that, the fire, and this brings us to the objective of the Lord. You know, his seven spirits, when they have been perfectly applied, then the, the, the fire, of, um, the, 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 the work of judgment, the mishpat of God, the, um, what God has intended is joined together with the burning of the fire of the Lord, that function Fire represents function and initiation of what God has intended. So you have, you have the Sela principle. You have then the intercessory voice, thunders, lightnings, earthquakes principle. And then you have the principle of the, the seven spirits with judgment and burning. And God, in those applications... The applications themselves, God wasn't identified as. What he was identified as was that still small voice, which is our intercession, our commune with him, our listening to him, and uh, our obeying. I think that's really neat. Now, we talk about the importance of this sila and how vital it is for us to serve God there, wait upon God there. What has been established at the right hand, we go forth to believe and intercede and to wait on God for the, the resolution, the, the witness of it. Um, we like the earthquake, unless you're in one. We like the fire. We like the wind that is demonstrable. Who wouldn't? But what we really should love is God. 
and how he speaks to us. Now, when he speaks, we've got to obey. And that's going to usually cost us something. Um, you might be tempted to react as Moses did or to become reactive as Elijah was. Um, what they were saying was accurate, but they shouldn't have been saying it because it was the very thing that God was wanting to move to change, to institute something of his divine purpose that would turn those things upside down. And the people in the wilderness were destroyed because of their murmuring. Murmuring, as we know from study, in the Old Testament is often depicted by the same word used to say we should meditate. Uh, you're going to be confronted by what God wants and by the nonsense and the craziness that could be happening in the world around you. Some of that may be coming against you, and it can irritate you if you're not careful. There's no sin in being irritated. It's in partnering with that irritation and reacting wrongfully to that irritation and then to say with your words things that, and to proclaim what those things are and your reaction to them instead of what God's response is to them. Does that make sense? So the last verse we want to look at today is from the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14. O oh, my dove, you are in the clefts of the Selah, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice, for sweet is your voice, and your countenance is comely. It's interesting. The dove, we taught on this a long time ago. I wrote a little booklet about it. The dove doesn't just represent peace. It represents the way a son fulfills the will of the Father, which is why the dove came down upon Jesus at his baptism. And the sons are going to prove their devotion and their love to God in the Selah. That's where the sons are formed uh, no, let me say this. That's where the sons demonstrate and obey what God has ordained for them to be. It is a forming of what God ordained. And I, I'm just very, very grateful for this. And so, here we are on this Wednesday at the... Uh, conclusion of a week that has prophetically been designated as a seal of week. We come together on this eighth day, very similar to Moses as he was ready to go forth, or he hoped to go forth. Elijah was when he was supposed to initiate 
that new measure of what God was wanting to do to restore his people from the wicked and corrupt reign of Ahab and Jezebel. And we're in some very climactic times ourselves. God has promised certain things throughout the world and in our lives. God is always faithful, but there are many adversaries to this door of grace, the door of utterance. There are things that we're believing for individually and things we're believing for corporately, things that God has said to us, and we've committed our lives to these. And now we come to this eighth day and we're continuing to pray and believe God. What do we do on this eighth day? Well, I, I think that we ought to, first of all, give thanks to the Lord for the things that he's done. Because again, Thanksgiving is the, is the, the launch point of every point of grace. It's not the grace is not initiated there, but it's the launch point. Thanksgiving is, is a necessary component to us going forward. You got to get that established. And um, but but I think I think we should give thanks to the Lord, but we should also position ourselves, thinking I've got the rod of the authority of the Lord. This isn't me asking for things. On my own, God has put me here, and um, I've got that representatively. I know that. Thanks be to God for it. But I need to speak into this rock. I need to speak from this rock. I need to declare the fulfillment. I need to declare the actualization of the promise. I need to declare the victory. And we need to do this throughout the day. And when we come together tonight, we're going to pray. And I don't really know how we'll summarize this um, at the end of the prayer time. But it, this is about emer emer not emerging from the seal of place, but <clears throat> speaking representatively from and through this seal of place and declaring water come forth, healing come forth, God arise, enemy scattered. You know, there's another one of these passages. I almost put it on here, but I thought, well, this could be something that people could look at. You remember when Jonathan, Saul's son, was inspired by the Lord to go and attack the Philistine garrison at Mishmash. Or maybe in Hebrew, Mishmash. Um, and you'll see that when he's going, he goes between two Sela cliffs. They're designated as Sela cliffs. One of them is thorny or hard. That's its name. The other one is brightness, whiteness, confidence. And it really does represent he's going through 
two sila places through a sila between the two of them. And you have the, on the one side the hardness, the challenge, the, the thorniness, and on the other side you've got the promise, you've got the fulfillment, you've got the victory. I just think that's very interesting. I didn't put it on here, but you can look at that for yourself. I just told you what it was. And they went, of course, and had victory, and then Saul got mad. It was just a real crazy time in in the history of David and Saul and Jonathan. Um, but just know that you know, the story you can bring forth from this is that I think we would all agree that Jonathan was following the word of the Lord. And he was an upright, stalwart individual. He's not given enough credit by us. And, um, but Saul, on the other hand, wouldn't, wasn't in, was not inclined. He had the capacity to do it, but was, he wasn't inclined to offer supplication. He wasn't inclined to function first prophetically, even though he could. Um, he was inclined to be led more by the people and to disobey rather than to rather than to obey. Read that for yourself. I'm not faulting him. I have. Great sorrow for Saul. He, he faced things as a first fruits of the king of Israel that I think none of us recognize uh, the, the severity of those pressures. But if you're following the Lord, don't expect for the religious world to stand up and clap. And I'm, I'm not thinking that Jonathan was really looking for that from his father. But the point is, is that when Jonathan went forth, or went, I don't know whether he went thither, I guess he went thither. He didn't go hither, because hither is coming to us, thither is going away. Um, he went through those two designated sila places that both had names. And he's in, he's in the sila of two sila places. I probably should have started with that. <laughs> But it's good to end with it. Um, so where are you today? You got the Lord who's been working with you. He has prophetically designated this in the middle of this 10th month. And the Lord says, are you willing now to speak from this seal of place as my dove, as, as the one who is going forth established from the miry clay into the goings forth. Let's take account throughout this day those particular things you've been believing for that you know God has ordained. Um, begin to speak. Maybe you've already been doing this, but let's do it again. Speak it forth in this new day. Declare into it. And um, I believe that God's going to answer so tonight, you, any of you are willing, who are willing can join with us in prayer. We'll be gathering here at the sanctuary at 6 o'clock, Dallas time. And um, I also want to ask you to be in prayer for 
a small team of which I'm a part is going into Brazil tomorrow, our first real ministerial journey um, in internationally since the COVID shutdown. And um, Scott Mastin, myself, Yuwali Garcia are going. Please be in prayer for us. We, we fly out tomorrow night, Thursday night, and we come back on uh, in the early hours of uh, Tuesday morning. But during in the middle of those, we're, it's just jam-packed with meetings and ministry. So pray with us and for us for the will of God to be done. I'm declaring into this. So God bless all of you. Thank you. Um, it's been a blessing serving the Lord with you over this past week, and we look forward to what God has in store for us in the days to come. Thanks for listening. Till next time, God bless and goodbye.